Congregation of the Dead, Part 22, Second Half, Part C. O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. For the damned are suffering so severely because they are unwilling to be damned. Martin Luther, extrapolating from Romans 9.3. First, a couple minute review. Jesus proclaims, John 10, verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief, the fake Jesus or free will preacher, cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I, Jesus, am come that they might have eternal life and that they might have it more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, that is, giveth his life not for the world, but for his lost sheep. Verse 24. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Verse 26. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. Notice that Jesus did not say unto them, believe on me and become one of my sheep. But he said, Ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. Or in other words, ye are not one of the elect given to me by my Father before the foundation of the world. You can imagine that if these free will Jews actually comprehended his words, along with other stinging words, these words would be fighting words, and they were. For Jesus said unto them, verse 38, But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works, in order that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in my Father. Verse 39. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. Therefore we see that Jesus himself says that he is the door. He is the wicked gate. He is the straight gate, and we must pass through him. Who is the door? We do not believe to become a sheep. But we can only believe if we are a sheep given to Christ by his Father before the foundation 
of the world. And he then can reveal himself to us by making us a new creation. But those who bypass the wicked gate and come into the narrow way to heaven by the crooked way may get so close to heaven's door that they may knock on it. And Jesus will say unto them, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity or self-righteousness. Notice that Jesus says that he never knew those who work iniquity. Who was Jesus speaking of when he said this? Matthew 7, verse 23. I never knew you. Depart from me. Who should depart from him? Ye that work iniquity or self-righteousness or ye that believe in partial credit. So if we are still attempting to follow the law instead of being thrown to Jesus' feet by the law and we do not possess the righteousness of Jesus Christ, Jesus will say unto us, I never knew you. Depart from me. Who should depart from him? Ye that work iniquity. But let us not forget that these people were not heathen, but were professors of Jesus who thought they were following Jesus and were even calling him Lord. For Jesus emphatically says, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. What Christian churches are not going to call him Lord? And so Jesus is making it clear enough to all of us that just because we call him Lord does not mean we are a true believer and will go to heaven. So who is he going to allow to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus tells us that only those that do the will of his Father in heaven shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Let us read verse 21 again. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So Jesus makes it perfectly clear that if we call him Lord, but we are not doing the will of his Father, then we will not be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is the will of our Father in heaven for us? Jesus tells us, Matthew 5, 48, I, Jesus, 
command you, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. So Jesus commands us to be perfect, as our Father in heaven is perfect, which is his, father, which is his will for us. But to be perfect, we must keep our Father in heaven's commandments perfectly, just as Jesus did, which is impossible for us to do, apart from the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is his perfect fulfillment of the moral law for us. Again, why did Jesus tell these professing believers who said unto him, Lord, Lord, that he did not know them. That is correct. He told them to depart from him. Why? Because they were workers of iniquity, or in other words, self-righteousness. Jesus said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That is, ye that work self-righteousness, or partial credit, yes, these professing believers were into self-righteousness or partial credit. Yes, these professors were the ones that thought Jesus commanded them not to be perfect, but just endeavor to be perfect. They did not comprehend that in Jesus' world, partial credit does not exist. For if he breaks one commandment, he is no longer perfect or God. And Jesus only knows those who find their perfection in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows no professing believer who does not keep his commandments perfectly. And therefore, if we are not wrapped in his robe of righteousness. We can be a moralist so close to heaven's gate that we can knock on heaven's door. But Jesus will say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That is, ye that work self-righteousness or partial credit. Jesus also commands us, Mark 12, verse 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God, Jesus does not say, and thou shalt endeavor to love the Lord thy God. For if we sin just once, we are not loving him perfectly. And Jesus commands us to be perfect. Again, Jesus commands us in Mark 12, verse 30, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. How are we doing? How many times a day do we break this commandment? And does it break our heart that we are not loving him as he commands us to love him? Does it keep us in a state of repentance? So if we are not perfect as Jesus commands, and we don't love the Lord our God perfectly, 
then Jesus is going to say unto us, I never knew you. Depart from me. Who should depart from him? Ye that work iniquity. Yes, that is correct. And Fisherman John totally comprehends and knows this is true. For he exhorts his brethren and writes, 1 John 2, 3. And hereby we do know. That is, in other words, we are 100% confident that we know him. And this is a big deal, that we be 100% sure that we know Jesus. For if we truly know Jesus, Jesus' spirit dwells in us. 1 John 4.13 Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. Why? Because he, Christ, hath given us of his spirit. Christ can only give us his spirit if we have been made a new creation or born again. And if we are born again, we have eternal life. And another way of saying that is that we, that we have eternal life is to say, we know thee, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Let us listen again to Fisherman John. John 17, verse 12. As thou, Jesus, this Father, hast given him, Christ, power over all flesh to do what? That is correct. Jesus, his Father, hath given Christ power over all flesh in order that he, Jesus, should give eternal life to who? That is correct. To as many as thou, his Father, has given him before the foundation of the world. Verse 3. And this is life eternal. Or this is equivalent to life eternal. What is equivalent to life eternal? That they might know thee, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So knowing our Father and Jesus is equivalent to having eternal life. So Jesus gives eternal life to as many as his Father has given to him. And when he makes us a new creation, the Spirit of Christ is poured into us, and we became, become a new spiritual living creation. And at that moment, we know Jesus, and Jesus knows us, a new living spiritual creation. And we cry out, Abba, Father, that is, Jesus has revealed to us his Father, and we now know the Father. And this is defined to be eternal life. Verse 3. And this is life eternal, or this is equivalent to life eternal. What is equivalent to life eternal? That they might know thee, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And now back to Fisherman John. 1 John 2, 3, 2, 3. 
And hereby we do know, that is, we are 100% confident, that we know him. If what? If we keep his commandments. Notice that Fisherman John does not say endeavor to keep his commandments, as our free will friends would have us to believe. So let us read it again. 1 John 2, 3. And hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. How are we to keep his commandments? That is right. Jesus commands us to be perfect, as our Father in heaven is perfect, which is impossible apart from the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, or Christ's perfect fulfillment of the moral law for us. In fact, Fisherman John writes that if we do not keep our Father in heaven's commandments perfectly, as Jesus did, that we are a liar, and the truth is not in us. Verse 4, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments perfectly, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. What is the only way that we can keep God's commandments perfectly? Who was the only man on earth that did ever keep our Father in Heaven's commandments perfectly? It wasn't the first Adam, was it? But what about the second Adam? Jesus. Did Jesus know any sin before his Father in Heaven made him our original sin? No. The second Adam knew no sin before he was crucified. And therefore that means what? That is correct. He kept our Father in Heaven's commandments perfectly and thus rose from the dead and was able to impute his perfect fulfillment of the moral law to those he made new creations, the ones given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world. Thus his new creations are clothed in his robe of righteousness, making them perfect or holy, because the robe of righteousness is the perfect, imputed fulfillment of all the commandments of his Father. Meaning that when our Father in heaven looks down from heaven upon the true believers, clothed in his Son's robe of righteousness, he sees his Son's perfect obedience as our perfect obedience. And thus he knows his saints. And his saints know him. But if we are professing believers and are not wrapped in Christ's robe of righteousness, then what? That is right. Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity or self-righteousness or partial credit. And this is why Jesus did not know the professing believers who said, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Lord, Lord, in thy name have we not cast out devils? Lord, Lord, have we not in thy name done many wonderful works? Verse 23. And then Jesus will profess unto them, I 
never knew you. Depart from me. Jesus told them to depart from him because they did not possess the gift of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So again, we see the gift of the righteousness of Jesus Christ is what makes us innocent in our Father's courtroom in heaven and shields us from his wrath for we are now perfect in his sight. And because it is the only way we can be seen as keeping our Father's commandments perfectly or loving him perfectly, it is the only way Jesus can know us and therefore not say unto us, Depart from me, I never knew you. So again, Fisherman John writes, 1 John 2, 3, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments perfectly. Let us reemphasize that if we possess the righteousness of God, Jesus would not have said, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But he would have said unto us, as he said unto the publican or tax collector who approached Jesus like this. Dr. Luke, chapter 18, verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Justified means that he was found innocent in his father's courtroom because he possessed the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and knew he did not deserve it. And thus seeing his original sin as sin with all its evil proclivity, proclivities, the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful, merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, which was an arrogant Pharisee. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The Pharisee in this parable was just like those professing believers who said, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Lord, Lord, in thy name have we not cast out devils? We will see in Jesus' parable that the Pharisee, who did not have the undeserved righteousness of Jesus Christ, came in his arrogance to pray at the temple. Verse 9. And Jesus spake this parable unto who? That is right. Unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That is, self-righteousness or perform partial credit, and despised others. And now the parable, verse 10. 
two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. A publican was a Jewish tax collector who worked for the Romans and usually was known to overcharge when collecting taxes, and thus they were looked upon by society and despised. But this tax collector was different, for he was a new creation that possessed the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he knew he didn't deserve it. Beginning with verse 10 again, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this scumbag publican. Scumbag's not in there. Verse 12, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of, of all that I possess. Verse 13, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And again, what did Jesus say about this publican? And what would he say about us if we come as to Jesus as he did? He would say unto us, as he did this publican, verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Again, justified is the legal term for innocent in his father's courtroom because he possessed the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the perfect fulfillment of the law for him as his ticket into heaven. Rather than the other, the self-righteous Pharisee, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So we see that those of us who possess the righteousness of Christ are humble, for we know we do not deserve it. And that is why we come to God in prayer as this publican came. Verse 13. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This publican was not so much seeing his acts of sin as he was seeing that the evil proclivities of his heart or original sin was sin. And he was in a state of repentance. Our original sin that we all possess at conception is the fountain from which all evil flows in this world. And these evil proclivities cannot be eradicated from our heart, but only covered up with morality. And that is why we all are in desperate need of obtaining the righteousness of Jesus Christ before we die physically. For our original sin cannot be eradicated, but only covered up with morality, leaving us in a state of repentance. And Jesus, in reaching down, giving us a hand up, saying, By faith, believe in my gift of righteousness to you. Fear not, my Father's wrath is subdued. Let us end by repenting over the evil proclivities of our heart, as did King David in Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure, for thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. 
Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. To be continued. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.